0: Hello and welcome to the Crystal Podcast on iCode Media. Today I had a great conversation with Dr. Christopher G, Dr. Ethan Heisman, Dr. Jeff Clements, and Dr. Michelle Andrews about uh, the My Day lens, the reveal lens, the multifocal, asteric lens, and really kind of get got into the granular nature of our practice and how we approach contact lens fitting so that it's uh, good for the patient, profitable for the practice, and I really have fun with this conversation. Please enjoy our conversation, and as always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, write a review, share it with your friends, and support those who support us. So today I want to talk about the MyDay Multifocal for just a second. It has been a really great thing in our practice for our patients who are presbyopes of all areas, but you know those tricky presbyopes are always the ones that are kind of emerging where they don't want to give up any of their faraway vision, but they're having some struggles up close. And so what uh, the MyDay Multifocal has been able to do for us is to allow those patients to transition into a multifocal more easily. And then as we have those patients progress into other levels where they need more ad powers. It's been a nice, smooth transition. So the ultimate hurdle that we've seen in our practice before the My Day Multifocal was that We'd have patients who would resist any transition f- to a multifocal lens because of that distance blur. We just haven't seen that. So if you haven't started using MyDay Multifocal in your practice, I would encourage you to start, check it out, uh, contact, reach out to your Cooper reps for those trial lenses uh, and commit to MyDay Multifocal for your patients. I think they're going to like it. If you haven't checked out Mackey Health yet for your patients in Category 1 through Category 4, I think there's a lot of evidence that you should be considering. The first is, if we just look at AREDS 2 and what they, they talk about, Mackey Health is, a, so for patients in Category 3 and Category 4 um, AMD, MacuHealth Health is a great option for them that follows that entire, um, that entire protocol, and it also adds Mesozeaxanthin to the mix, which, if you look at some of the evidence, I believe shows me that it's going to thicken the macular pigment better than without mesozeaxanthin. It also uses the a correct a Reds two dose of zinc uh, at 25 milligrams, and so you don't have to worry so much about the potential side effects of zinc. The other thing to to think about, and it's beyond the scope of this, although you've probably heard me talk on other podcasts, is that in patients in category one and two, there may be some additional benefit. Uh, to supplementing them with something that may be a little bit less than the A-REDS-2, so you don't have to add as much to it. And that's where I use the MacuHealth LMZ3. And so I think if you haven't done this yet, I'd consider MacuHealth in your practice and for your patients. And it's been great for my patients, and um, and we really feel like we have the ability to uh, help those patients in all categories of macular degeneration. Thanks, everybody, for jumping on today. I, I'm excited to have a conversation. And you know, for the listeners, I think it's important to know that um, we've got a couple different participants here. We've got Chris G, uh, who practices just outside of San Francisco. Um, Ethan Heisman, who practices outside of Des Moines. Jeff, I didn't get a chance to ask you, where, uh, where do you practice? Jeff Clements, where do you practice?
1: Just north of Madison.
0: Okay. Yeah. 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 I knew that. Yeah. I knew that too. So, uh, and then we have Michelle Andrews who, um, who is always such a grace, gracious guest. And she has all these kind of insights within the profession that a lot of us clinicians don't get to see all that much. And so I think it's really helpful to have your perspective as well, Michelle. And I think it's also important from a disclaimer standpoint is while all of, all of the docs on here, um, are, uh, our clinicians own their own practices, um, except for Michelle, um, They've been compensated for their time today to be here. And so I think that's important for me to mention as well. But I think they're going to give you honest opinions about how things have been uh, working in their practice for, you know, from a standpoint of when we talk about multifocal lenses, specifically uh, my day and reveal multifocal, uh, my day and reveal toric, and then also the my day and reveal sphere. So I want to kind of get right into it. The first thing I'm going to kind of pick your brain about, um, Michelle. Is this idea of private labeling, and maybe Chris, you can jump in on this as well. But Michelle, from your perspective, when you think about why would Cooper want to offer private labels as opposed to just saying, "Look, everything's my day. We're going to go all in on a brand." What? What? Uh, how does the contact lens company um, kind of wrap their minds around that and take that approach? Yeah. So the
2: idea of a private label has really evolved over time we now refer to them as as customer Ah, brands and that that really speaks though to the evolution of what how private label started and really what it means now because really now Chris it's driven by our customers who see the value in having a product that is branded in a way that they choose to brand it that represents high quality and also gives their customers an opportunity for loyalty and retention. And so we see it as a great opportunity to support the needs of our customers when they're trying to achieve those two things, which is a really important in a clinical practice.
0: You know, so then, you know, I think when I think about the pushbacks, and, and this might be for you, uh, Dr. Andrews, but also might be for the rest of the docs on the panel today, is when I talk to some docs about using a customer brand or a private label, one of the things, first of all, that I, I think is kind of sticky is that like 97% of households have a, a customer brand in the household. So people are already aware that they exist. They're already choosing brands that are that are private label or customer branded. But one of the, the, the pushbacks I get from doctors when they have access to one of those customer brands is they say, you know, I don't want to... Um, make my patient feel like they have to get their, their materials from me. I want to show them that they have a good value. I want to be able to, and and it's almost like their, the, their perception, the, the, pa- the doctor's perception of how the patient will think about them. If they have a customer brand, Dr. G or, or Dr. Heisman or Dr. Clements, uh, any thoughts about that, how you kind of overcome that or, or does that even go through your head? For me,
3: I think it was more of a problem with my own thinking when I was slow to jump on board with this. Um, I personally felt, so we make a point to be very transparent in everything we do. Transparent in our fees, transparent in uh, just how we process data. And again, problem with my head, this felt less transparent for whatever reason. Um, Does it feel less transparent when when
0: you go to, let's say, Target and by method cleaner, does, does that feel uh, bad to you when you do that?
3: Sorry, the audio cut out for me. So so
0: if you were go, if you were just for yourself, I'm just trying to make you a a customer, right? If you went to target and bought method brand or whatever there, did that ever make you feel bad as a customer or make you feel like it was not up and up? Uh, no. No. So why is it? Di- why do we think uh, it's different from a from a doctor's perspective?
3: From the doctor's perspective, I felt like there was some sort of maybe like a bait and switch, or a here's the same product but under a different name, so you don't find it somewhere else. But let I got over this. Yeah, how did you right? get over it? And I did it in baby steps. And when I first got over it, I started just putting the name, the the customer brand name on the prescription, and I put the national, whatever we call it, the original name in parentheses. And this was my way of saying, well, you know, here's what's going to, here's what it's going to say on the box, but fully transparent. If you decide to go somewhere else, this is what you would look for. And I wouldn't say that out loud. It would just be there on paper.
0: So It's interesting that you, that you've done that. That's exactly what we did instead of using parentheses, we did a slash, you know, so it would say reveal slash my day.
4: Uh, We never did the parentheses. Hmm. Um, yeah I became um, a vision source member about six months after I'd opened my practice, so I had a very short lead time of not being vision source and then once uh, once we did join vision Source, we just kind of moved full in on the on the customer branded lenses and were very successful, had great patient acceptance. and there are a few isolated times over the years where patients would ask for the national brand and things like that. But overall, we never really had any kind of resistance or pushback or anything. And so we've never done the slash parentheses or anything like that on the prescriptions.
0: Seems to me that most of this is, is kind of our perspective. Dr. Clements, what do you think? What's, what's been your experience in your practice?
1: Same thing. Um, I've never used it as a barrier. I have a Costco across the street from my office. So the rare time where someone will be like, Hey, they said this is the same as their brand name. Um, what's up with this? And again, this is only a handful of times I'll say, well, this is part of my buying group. This is how we can offer you a better rate. Here's your rebates. And then we get the sale because we can beat yeah. it.
0: Yeah. Nice. So I, I may come back to this. Um, but I also want to pick Dr. G. I want to pick your brain cause we're going to start with kind of, I want to talk about how the sphere works mainly for how the sphere works in relation to, being able to leverage the options we have within a my day or reveal lens where we have, you know, when you have the full suite of of types of lenses for that specific type of material, I think it allows us to, to use more of even the sphere than we may have otherwise. So I do want to come back to some of those points, but Dr. G, um, I know you do a lot of, you have, you have a lot of presbyopic patients and a lot of patients who, um, who are presbyopic contact lens patients. And, and so can you give me a little bit of your perspective on, um, on the my day reveal, uh, multifocal and how you're using it?
3: Yeah. You know, it's funny cause I actually have a very young demographic, really? uh, compared to other places. I like work. yeah, how can they afford we're to a live there? Sub... <laughs> uh, tech, the answer yeah. is tech. We live in suburbia with a short commute to, to Silicon Valley. Um, and we have cheaper homes here. So they're young, young families, uh, but. I get a lot of a lot of emerging presbyopes, uh and I, I still we still get our fair share of, you know, over fifties. Um but the answer to your question is that uh we i I've been fitting a lot of reveal before multifocal came out already. Um and I think a lot of the difficulty with some, that some people may have with transitioning to a multifocal is that it feels like a brand new fit, right? Like starting from scratch, even though it's the material is the same, even though the fit is probably going to be really similar, it feels like a brand new fit. You
0: mean the doctors and feel that way?
3: That yes. is correct. Mm-hmm. And reveal multifocal, not a lot of calculations you have to do. I don't know if there's any calculations you have to do. You're, you're not having to choose D lenses or N lenses. You're not having to choose, you know, different. Add powers uh, per se. Uh, the the fitting guide just made it so simple that my my brain goes through nothing extra compared to a spherical fit. You know, I've been my other than dominant eye, non dominant. Do eye.
0: you do you charge a different um, contact lens evaluation fee for a patient who's a early presbyope or a presbyope versus a non presbyope?
3: Um, I charge one flat fee. Uh, if a patient is already in a brand of lenses, uh, and then I'll charge a refit if I have to make fitting changes or design changes.
0: And so, okay.
3: But I think your question is, if I had a reveal sphere, would I charge a refit to get them into a reveal multifocal? And yes, I would.
0: You know, I think one of the things that I think is a barrier, and and maybe this is the case for for Dr. Heisman and uh, Dr. um, Clements, but I think a barrier for what you're describing, Chris, was um, is, is our own barrier, right? If, if I'm not, uh, charging for my time and my expertise and what that's going to cost for me to bring, bring that patient back, potentially, if I needed to do a follow-up, then I'm less inclined to, to want to, uh, recommend different things. And so you, you sort of have removed that barrier from a standpoint of, look, this is my expertise. Do you, th- do you think there's still a lot of guys that aren't cha- uh, charging refit, uh, fees or charging different fees when a patient needs a different type of, uh, lens? Chris,
3: well, I don't, I don't know that I could speak to that. I, I imagine there are. I don't know who they yeah. are.
0: but but it hasn't been your experience where, um, by and large, people are doing that anymore. I don't think in our Vision Source circles that I run with, most of them are doing that. And sometimes I, I, I talk to these guys that are not in Vision Source, and I think, and, it, and it, you know, it can happen. To anybody it can happen in Vision Source, but I generally think when I talk to them, I'm like, oh, you're not charging a, or I listen to the fees that they're charging. It's like, what are you doing? You know it's become a pure commodity for them um, or for the patients. So then Chris, my, you know, the only time, go ahead. go
3: ahead. The only time that comes up is when the patient says, well, I've never been charged a contact lens fitting fee before. And we all know that's not true.
0: I hope not. (laughs) I hope that's not true. Um, So the, the, then, you know, I think you're right. That's been my experience as well as this, this progression from patients who are, you know, non-presbyopic to emerging presbyopes, the reveal multifocal for me has been like a slam dunk. Uh, it's been a very easy transition. What, ha, what about those patients that, and are, is there any other nuance or learning that you have where a patient, let's say they're 50, they've, they're this, they're, they, you know, the, the challenging one, they're emetropes. They want to be able to see well up close and they need a, you know, they need a plus two ad. So any learnings that you've got for, for us, um, on those patients,
3: I really lower expectations from the get go. Right. And and I have that whole conversation about how multifocals are great. Uh they have been a game changer. I have lots of patients in multifocals. Uh but but let's be real, there's a compromise. Just like progressive glasses lenses have a compromise where you have to figure out where you're you know trying to look through, just like putting reading glasses over distance contacts is a compromise, just like having one eye far, one eye near is a compromise. There is a compromise with every multifocal solution. Um and for the right person, which I believe is the vast majority of people, uh, the compromise, the visual compromise in these multifocals is significantly less than the others. Um, And by the time I'm I'm done with my short spiel, I mean, I I don't know what they're expecting, like, halos, they're expecting a very difficult transition, they're expecting days to get used to it, and so by the time it's on their eyes and they look at it like, well, I can see that, I can see this, this is fine, and I say, great.
0: You know I think again we 're t- kind of talking about sabotaging ourselves, but um, you know one of the things that I always we're kind of ingrained into is to uh want to get that twenty whatever number you know jeff i, I don't and and even ethan you know we're kind of built into this uh, okay, a patient comes in and the first thing we want to do is stick a card in front of them to see how they're seeing up close and stick a chart in front of them to see how they're seeing far away. And I think that sabotages things so often where you get a patient coming in and I'll I'll walk in my pre-test, my tech has already gotten um, visual acuity and I'll say, how's things going? And they'll tell me, oh, I was doing great until I looked at this chart. I'm like, oh, golly, why did we do that? You know, And I don't know, have you guys changed, Jeff and and Ethan, have you changed the way you approach multifocals or even your contact lens fits? Go ahead, Jeff.
1: Yeah, especially with multifocals, the near expectations is why we're fitting into a multifocal. But instead of having them look at the near card, I'm making them look at their phone. A lot of times they're blowing it up anyway. So I'll just say, pull up a text or an app that you like to use. How does it feel? And then they're not trying to strain for a 2020 line. I go for everyday. So then changes.
0: documentation in your chart. Again, if, if I'm thinking about this, there's still this gut reaction for a lot of us that says, boy, I need to put something in the chart for visual acuity. Otherwise, if that patient gets in an accident, et cetera, et cetera, you know, I, I don't know how well they saw. What's your response to that? Or how do you, how do you mitigate that fear?
1: I try to give them the phone first and then let's just see how far you can go and then I'll push them. And then, so I will yeah. document it that way, but, uh, explain that I can make them look at little letters all day long, but I want to know their real world experience before. Yeah. Follow great.
0: Up. Ethan, what do you think? Anything different?
4: No, I agree very much with what Jess said about using what the patient wants to see. They want to see their phone. They don't need to see six point type on a piece of paper because for the most part we don't do that anymore. So we want them comfortable on the phone. We want the patient comfortable in the distance. This actually just came up last week. We had a new technician who was training and just how they set the acuity chart at the bottom of the chart, the 2015 and the 2010 lines were still up there. And so we had a happy patient. And then when I went there, he said, I thought I was doing well, but I can't read that bottom line. So then it was a teachable moment where I could teach the technician say, okay, let's not do that because they're going to hyper-focus on that. I was able to have the conversation with the patient of being, you know, saying not very many humans can see that line, so you're totally fine. But it is just being careful of how the exam lane is set up, how the office is set up. You know, you don't want that near acuity card sitting on the counter where the patient can grab it and look at it and then get stressed out because they can't read the bottom. And you don't want to leave the 2010 line up on the chart because that's not the patient's world. Re- really, you know, keying in on what does the patient need, what do they want to see, and catering to that.
0: You know, um, were you guys at the ex- – if you were at the exchange, you probably saw Aaron, and I don't know if you, you caught it, but Aaron and I were, were teasing uh, – Aaron Warner and I were teasing Shane Kinnar, Um because his big thing is, is he, he created a card that he called a Kenar card. And I mean, it was just kind of joking at first, but I always think it's funny when people name stuff after themselves. Like, do you guys remember the layer of Dua, the Dua layer? So there's this guy that, that, uh, there was this uh, a few years back, there was this, um, article that, that he was writing about this additional layer of the cornea. It was like the sixth layer of the cornea. And it was, I can't remember if it was between the endothelium and the stroma or between, um, uh, or between the endothelium basement membrane and the stroma. I can't remember. But the bottom line is he basically in the paper that he wrote, he termed it after himself. And I was like, oh come on, I you know, like who who discovers something and terms it after himself? Most of the time people discover something, then other people name it after the person who discovered it. Anyway, Shane Kennar sort of did that and, and we um and one of the learnings that I got from it, which was actually really sharp, is he put uh he had a, a near chart made And then he put 2040s, basically four or five 2040 lines at the very bottom, nothing smaller than that. And I thought it was just a really great, um, a really great. like methods so that you're not getting patients to, to try to fight for those really small lines. And then you don't have your, your staff uh, and part of your team kind of making the mistake of grabbing, you know, grabbing a really small card. So I thought that was, even though I I like to give him a hard time for naming it after himself, I, I, uh, I thought it was really sharp and I would name it after him anyway. Uh, Chris, when you think about um, kind of things that will ruin a multifocal fit, um, you know, one of the things comes with, um, you already kind of talked about expectations, but one of the things is uncorrected sill. So with, specifically with a reveal lens, when do you start thinking this is going to be a challenging fit if I, if I leave this astigmatism uncorrected?
3: Generally about 1 to
0: 1.25 diopters. And I mean. obviously against the rule would What's make cylinder? a bigger difference. Yeah. Do you probe that yep. before you go into it, are you, or are you saying, "Look, I'm, I'm, you're kind of borderline. Let's try it," or are you probing it in the phoropter?
3: Um, I don't probe it in the phoropter. If it's, if we're going to try it, we yeah. just try it. It Doesn't take a lot of time.
0: And um, and so, yeah. uh, Ethan, are you you know are you thinking about a um, a toric lens, same kind of parameters, one to a one and a quarter, uh, with those patients? Where it's going to ruin your multifocal, or maybe not ruin is the right word, but it's going to be a challenging multifocal fit. Or are you going lower or higher than that?
4: For the multifocal fit, I'm, I'm right there too. You know, if it's one or 1.25 and below, I have no hesitation in in trying that multi, with, trying the reveal multifocal lens, and we've had great success with that with those patients.
0: Now, so it's it's interesting because we we generally um, are. I think as a profession, we've been kind of hesitant to jump into a toric lens in a lot of cases because we'll say, "Oh, well, the cost. Oh, well, the you know the inconvenience or the the rotation or you know the different comfort." Ethan, what's your, been your experiencing using a my day reveal toric um, based on those sort of hesitancies that we have as a as a provider?
4: It's really taken away a lot of those hesitations or hurdles that we have, you know. If, Even if we think about just the patient experience and the flow through clinic, our goal from when the patient enters the front door, pre-test, exam, optical encounter, and back out, our goal is that patient is only here 45 minutes. So if we're fitting a toric lens regardless, that you're really gonna have to sit, you're gonna have to wait, see how it settles, see how to get the acuity, you know, and then there's some sort of kind of TORIC mislocation. So you're going to have to try a different lens. Like I can see where those hesitations start to build up, but with the reveal TORIC, it makes it so easy and takes so little time that it just made it. It doesn't even occur to me to not try that lens because it's so, it's very easy. Even first time contact lens wearers. it's very easy to insert, learn how to do that. It's going to center extremely quickly and the comfort's going to be there in the daily modality. So it's, it's been so much easier that it's really reduced a lot of the hesitations that we used to you know, have
0: when, um, so I think there's a lot of times where, you know, again, I, I'm as a clinician, I think, Oh, this patient has, you know, three fourths of adopter with the rule of stigmatism. They're not really going to be bothered by that. And so we'll just, we'll just mask it and, and put them in a sphere lens or I'll probe it. And they're kind of like, eh, maybe it's a little uh, different, but sometimes it's, it makes all the difference to patients just that. And, and then, then, and um and then even what's your threshold on a uh, non presbyope best distance um with against the rule sill what's your threshold for that Ethan where you're going to start to to give that patient a toric lens
4: Oh it'll be 3 quarters yeah. of a diopter yeah, now I, because it also it also it shows up not just in acuity but also comfort and if you have those patients that do have a little bit of blur you know there are a lot of studies out there about how <clears throat> excuse me um even if the vision is a little bit blurred, some patients will perceive that as contact lens discomfort. And so yeah. you end up trying, you know, two or three or four different lenses and none of them are comfortable. Well, the material in the in the tear film isn't the actual issue. It's that acuity. The patient just isn't experiencing that way. Um, so once that kind of was brought to my attention, i have become much more intentional about correcting that sill if it's there like I said, not just from an acuity standpoint, but also from a contact lens comfort standpoint, it makes a huge difference.
0: Yeah. I mean, that, that's a really interesting one. Jeff, um, are, do you have any other parameters? Some, pe- pe- some people, this is what I'm asking really, is I'm starting to think about correcting for some asti- astigmatism that's against the rule if it's about a half adopter. So if if I if I'm asking a patient, especially when I'm probing, that uh, I know I'm going to overcorrect it slightly, but I've got I've got to pick my poison, right? I'm going to overcorrect it by half, uh, uh, you know, quarter diopter or undercorrect it by half. So I got to pick my poison. That's where I find like I'm kind of on the borderline, or patients are complaining about um, about not quite a sharp vision. Then it, it again because of all those reasons, Ethan talked about. It, it's more you know it's a comfortable lens, it's an easy fit. I'm less hesitant to jump to that. Uh, do you do you still use the three-four stop diopter against the rule, or are you going um, a little bit less than that, Jeff?
1: I'm still starting at three-quarters, and probably to the detriment of how good the reveal sphere is, mm. that it can mask that half diopter to me. Um, so unless there's a big nighttime vision complaint, I guess everyone's complaining about headlights these days, it seems like. Um, I haven't explored too much. I'm trying to yeah. go with that. Little extra yeah. I course, mean, I so. would
0: say, I would say I'm not always doing it. I'm just considering it, right. I'm thinking it's going through my mind about, and, and where in the past where if I'm, it, I i would not even go through my mind because I'm thinking the same thing you're talking about, Ethan, where it's like, Oh, now I'm going to have to let the lenses settle. And then they're going to have to come back. And then we're going to have, you know, it's just the whole rigmarole. And I, it, I guess my point is, is I, I am considering those things a lot earlier. Um, as far as like your fit set, Ethan, when um you know with a with a daily toric lens and a fit set um sometimes it can be limiting right what what's been your experience when you think about just i mean we could talk about reveal and my day torics but just in general when you think about a fit set in your office before we get to specifics what are the things that are coming in your mind with a toric daily fit set that's that's a requirement
4: with a tor um to have to, be at, to have access to the lenses that are going to fit almost all the patients and have that available in office so we can get that lens on the patient's eye, evaluate the fit, and they can have that instant gratification that our patients want and need. If for most of the patients we have to say, okay, we're going to order this lens, we're going to order a trial lens in, you come back and pick it up, and then come back a week later, you know, we're just, we're adding hurdles and obstacles for that patient that they don't have the time and, and, and don't don't want taking up our chair time. So for me, the number one is to have those as many parameters available as possible. So that we have that uh, have that experience instantly for the patient. And in I know I know it's a ton of lenses. I know it can be a big fit set. It is one hundred percent worth the space in my office. Yeah,
0: yeah you know, I think so I wanna I wanna throw something out and I wanna get um kind of everybody's perspective on how they would manage this this case. So let's say we've got a um a hyperope with some mild papilla and um and they, they need a toric lens. Okay, let's say they're a hyperopic uh patient that needs a and buck, buck you know, one, minus one seventy five sill, um axis 90 just to make it easy. And they're, uh, two and a quarter hype rope. And they're close to their, uh, close to emetropia or close to, um, presbyopia. All right. So I'm in your chair. That's me, right? Let's just say that's me. I'm in your chair. You go to the, um, trial lens set. It's not there. What do you do? Jeff, order it, just straight order it. Okay. Chris,
3: I look for another brand.
0: Really? Okay.
3: Ethan. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Chris. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say it's, it's, it's chair time to to order and have the patient come back and add a whole other visit is another slot in my
0: schedule. Yep. Ethan.
3: So if it's available in another brand, I'm gonna try that.
0: Let's say, let's say you really want the brand that you're after. Then what do you find something close? Do you Uh, find uh, a Plano and over refract? What do you do?
3: Um, I would still try the other brand first. Okay. And, it, That's and if powerful. it doesn't, and, and if it proves my point that I really wanted, uh, the original one for whatever reason, then guess what? They have to come okay. back anyway.
4: Yep. Ethan. Uh, I would agree with Chris that I would, what's available, um, is what I'm going to go with. I have had some cases in this specifically where, uh, I have put on a Biofinity Toric or AquaClear Toric diagnostic lens. Because it does fit so similarly to the reveal toric, let that settle, you know, kinda of do the initial evaluation and then depending on what we find there, then order the trials in the daily modality. But the fit is so similar that we've had good success translating that uh how it fits with the with the yeah, monthly I version. I would say
0: I'm kind of with you two. I'm kinda of, Chris, I'm kind of with you and Ethan that I would I would probably go after a different brand, but to Ethan's point, this is what I do often. Is if I specifically if I wanted a if I wanted a my day reveal Torque, I would probably uh, put on the closest um, AquaClear uh, Biofinity Torque first. But you know, Jeff, it's interesting. Um, I want to ask you. So, is uh, is your trial is your trial lens area where patients where you have access to those trial lenses? Do you feel like it's limited? Are you are you limited in space, or do you have a large trial trial lens area?
1: I'm lucky where we got a pretty big area yeah. where everything's pretty comprehensive. As far as chair time, I mean it's a it's a fit. I can squeeze those in between my regular exams. So as I try to appreciate the patients' time too, that they have to come back. I don't. See so I want to dig into your process, then Jeff,
0: because I think that can be helpful just in other other doctors listening. So you would order the lens. Uh, and your perspective would be, look, I got all the information. I'm not going to spend any additional chair time now, but I'm going to spend it at some point in the future and I can wiggle that patient right back in. So if that's the case, do you let the patient pick up the contact lens before you see it on their eye? Okay.
1: I don't do that. We'll, we'll tell them that we'll call them as soon as the lens arrives. So, you know, we're guaranteed to have it the day of the fit and then a tech will have them put it in. I'll pop in. Oh, the, Toric markings lined up. You can see, quick plus yeah. or minus over and then, refracting.
0: Uh, are you seeing them back again after they've been wearing it and after after they've experienced it, or you're good at that point?
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. I'll follow. How about you guys, call. Chris and, and Ethan? Do you guys use telehealth or phone calls often for just follow ups?
4: No. How 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 we often handle it is we'll have an, a, a contact lens check scheduled, and then we'll have a staff member reach out a couple days before that and check and if the patient is satisfied, they can go ahead and order and cancel the appointment. But then that appointment is there in case we need it just because it's so it's so much easier to cancel an appointment than to schedule one if they are having problems. But we try to, when we're confirming the appointment, just check to see how the patient is. And if everything looks good, then we can just go ahead with the what order at that point. What kind of
0: message do you think it sends to patients when we don't do follow-ups? Is there a message we send to patients? Chris, Chris thinks there is, There's What's absolutely the message? a message so i mean chris you think of all
3: these patients who inquire about the fitting fee like right why are you charging this amount of money when you're just running to the drawer, you know popping a lens on my eye and then saying okay looks good uh we are these these are medical devices right we're not just saying this to our legislators it's true there are so many complications that can occur from a poor fitting lens uh that the patient will be completely unaware of re- they can be completely comfortable, right? In a contact lens fits that's too tight, for example, or maybe there's irritation, but it's under the upper lid. And so they don't feel it until it becomes a bigger problem. When we insist that they come in, we say those things, right? It reinforces the fact that there was value in the fitting process. And it reinforces the fact that there was value in paying the money for the fitting. Um, And then secondarily, when you have them in the office, it gives my staff the opportunity uh, to present the rebates, to present the value of an annual supply. Um, Because regardless of what a patient says, oh, yeah, I'll come, you know, I'll I'll call back next week and I'll order it with your staff. They may have full intention of doing that. They're probably also going to Google it at the same time. Right. And who knows what they find. So zero percent of the time do I. Do a follow up over the phone or, or authorized prescription. But you
0: are so. But that would be different if it was the same material uh, and the same. Like let's say it might be different if you're just if you're leaving the same material, and let's say base curve. I can't remember. Uh, Jeff, do you know off the top of your head? Uh, maybe Chris, you know base curve and overall diameter. Let's say multifocal and sphere. They're probably different. Michelle, do you know off the top of your head? Sorry. If you don't know, you can consult OptiExpert. <laughs> you like that? I don't know off the top of my head. Uh, the answer to your question – You know. Go ahead, Chris.
3: The answer to your question is yeah, – no, well, I, I, <laughs> I don't know. But the answer to your, other, your original question uh, was yes. I, I still do it in person because I want the patient in the office for yeah. a checkout,
4: for a formal yeah, I checkout.
0: Think that's, I think that's a fair. I don't want I to rely on them. You know, I think you know, you and I, Chris, offline, we're talking a little bit about um, just how valuable our time is and how, you know, reimbursements have become stagnant, et cetera, et cetera. The thing that, that every, it's on everybody's mind right now, especially with inflation. But we kind of look at because I'm, you know, in a lot of ways, I'm like Jeff and Ethan. You know, I, I think, are there ways that I can expedite this fit? Uh, where on follow-ups, I don't have to have that patient back in the office. So I'm, I'm kind of more similar to they are, Chris, in that sense. But I always am consciously aware of what you just said, is what kind of message does that send to the patient? So when I make that decision, I am consciously making that decision of like, am I going to send the wrong message to this patient? If the patient asked me the question that you asked is, why are you, uh, you know, charging me this extra fee, et cetera, et cetera, can I justify that? When I'm when I'm seeing them back over the phone or or, you know, conversation, those sorts of things. If the answer is I can't justify it, then I'm saying or or even from a medical legal standpoint. Right. If I if if the answer is this patient could wind up with a problem if I don't know what's going on, um, then I then I need to see the patient back in, in the office. So but but my point in saying all of that is these are kind of moving parts. Right. We're trying to take really good care of patients. I believe everybody on this call is trying to do that. Provide them with great vision first and foremost, and then uh, and then also kind of run the par- run the practice. So these are the kind of things that I, I think a lot of docs kind of work through and may arrive at different um, at different places. So, but but it's a challenge, right? Because we, you know we know our time is valuable, and it's becoming it's becoming less value the- to, valuable to payers just by nature of the fact that you know uh, inflation is going up and and reimbursements can, have been stagnant.
3: And those are the visits that I can squeeze between anything else, right? They don't need dedicated time. But when you talk about the the value of the value, the monetary value to the practice for that short amount of time to increase the likelihood that they're going to purchase materials from you, to me, that's
0: 100% yeah. worth it every single time. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Yeah, I think it's a really good point. Jeff, other thoughts?
1: I can contemplated going to that method just because I want to increase my capture rate. So I haven't done it. Yeah what would be so
0: here's I think this is the thing is like these are the these are the conversations that people either have side side to other other doctors or they're just kind of having internally. Jeff what would make you what would make you jump at that change? What what would you need to be able to see in order to say I'm going to make this change in my practice? What's the holdback? Run the numbers.
1: I just have to run Chris, do you have have any of those numbers yet? Exactly. Where you can say if I do, no,
0: no, you don't. No 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 metrics, Jeff. So let's take then. If you run the analytics, what what might you be looking at to see if that's going to be something that's viable in your practice? Can you give me a sense of that?
1: You know, at the end of the year, it's going to be profitable. Then I'm all about that too, and. We got a pretty decent sized practice where I can sneak in one, you know, refit to check the the toric parameters that we ordered. But to do yeah. that for every, you know, slam dunk sphere, you know, times ten patients a day, now we're now we're adding chair time. Yeah. So Yeah, it, I think
0: I think what you probably benefit. have to be able to say would be you know, so like I'm trying to work through this if this were my practice and I'd say, Man, that'd be ten. I'd probably say, Okay, well, could I wiggle those ten people in? Over the course of the next week, just say, let's say we're going to do this for a week, and then we're going to watch every single one of those patients and see what's the capture rate on those patients, right? Um, Because we're doing it primarily for for their ocular health, making sure that everything's good. Secondarily, um, it, then it should benefit the practice. And if we're doing that, and it does, we should be able to see, okay, well, our, our normal capture rate over the, the course of time, maybe a week isn't enough, but maybe it's a month, but uh, our normal capture rate is this uh, for annual supplies. Now it's this for those specific patients. That would be kind of compelling. So I think for doctors who are listening that might want to do that, that might be a way to do it is just pick pick a specified period of time and look at that metric that you want. Ethan, any, uh, any thoughts from you? If you were going to change to be more like Chris in this sense – what would what would have to make you uh, what would what would we have to show you? What would I have to show you if I were if I were Chris and I wanted to advocate for my method? What would I have to show you that I'm right?
4: Uh, well, I think Jeff kind of I'm along the same lines of, you know, can you measure any kind of change in the practice as you do this? Right. But I think the important thing is, if you're considering it, just try it. Like we have the number of things over the years that we've just tried. And either we were able to see the benefit and the success or we did it and it didn't work out great. And then it's like, well, no big deal. That doesn't work for our situation. Right. But just do it. And whether you do it for a month, whether you do it for a quarter, like have that time goal set, be sure that you can measure what changed or what didn't change, and then make a decision whether you want to integrate it long-term into the practice, or if you just say, well, didn't work great.
0: Yeah.
4: On to something else. You know, I think that's just good, but, to me, the big thing is just do it. Just yeah. do it and try it yeah, and see what you happens. Gotta,
0: you got to measure it. It's so not, go ahead, Chris.
3: It's not the right solution for me, but I think one compromises to have your tech do it. But I think one it. Right? Still gets them in the office. The patient still feels cared for.
0: Yeah. They can identify obvious problems from a, you know, a quick a, a training on a slit lamp if you give them adequate training on a slit lamp. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh, Ethan, I was going to, um, you, you brought up a good point and now it slipped, it escaped me a bit. Oh yeah, here it is. I mean, so Jeff, I wanted to pick your brain. So we used a lot of, um, fresh day and clarity, uh, clarity one day. And so, you know, we have, um, and, and that's been a really great lens for us for, for a number of years. Do you have a first line lens that you use still? That is it, or is it always my day? As far as my day spheres, or are you kind of how do you know the difference between okay, I'm going to use this lens or that lens? And uh, you know, give me your perspective on that.
1: For us, the fresh day was my go to until the reveal came out. The my day, and my patients know that I'm always trying to try to offer them the latest and greatest. We've got a lot of technology in the office. I feel like they expect that from us and give them that. Yeah. So, so
0: you basically, but, but when you think about, so you're saying, okay, I've got, I've got new technology. Um, you, you, are there times where you're going to revert back to a, a clarity one day? Is it, is it a cost conversation that comes up? Is it that they don't feel any difference in comfort? You know, some patients may not notice that difference. Most of them do, but some patients don't. What what do you find when you're kind of if if that's your first choice, and then what's making you kind of revert back to the other, if you do?
1: It would have to it have to be the price, and I'm really only seeing that with new fits where if you know the the teenager and the mom says that oh this is too expensive, well we've already had the conversation why I think dailies are so important and they're usually on board with that, but then we'll try a, a less expensive lens and try with is fresh there was. um. But other than that, we're sticking of it. Do you think that there,
0: there is a uh, a hesitancy on starting with a more, well, starting with a more premium contact lens that also then subsequently has a higher price tag for patients? Do you think doctors have that hesitancy as well?
1: I think a lot do. Um, we also have a decent amount of total one, and hmm. we're playing with the uh, AccuView Max right now. So, we're going to offer that as well. But as far as just yeah, my so that's you brought up an interesting lens,
0: point, uh, Jeff. Video. About um, you said, okay, my go-to lens. We're going to play with these other lenses. We're going to kind of see how they work in different cases. But you've got this idea of my go-to lens. Tell me about how you know what's going to be go-to in your practice. What is, what's kind of the analysis that you go through? So for a daily lens, your go-to becomes the my day reveal. Yeah. So it, how did you come to that?
1: It became our go-to lens because of the success of the lens. Um, it works for the vast majority of the patients. It's an easy fit. It's a healthy lens. So all, those are all easy talking points they have with the patient to get them on board with trying it. And it's just been, in general, the perfect lens for everybody. My analogy is anytime someone's looking for something on Facebook, you know, what's the best for not a lot of money for this? And to me, that's been the reveal lens. Um, so I'll explain the value of the lens, how high performing it is, and yeah. then at the price point that most people aren't balking at either. So for capture rate, it's been a good lens yeah. for me, and that's yeah, I think that's important. It got into my um, game
0: too. Well, then let me ask you this then, Jeff. Since since I'm on to you, do you does that extend? Do you kind of have a a philosophy in your practice about sort of a strategy for? Okay, I want to be able to take care of the most patients, most problems, most of the time in a specific kind of lens and then you have a kind of a strategy that flows through. Have you embraced one of those strategies with different contact lens companies? You don't have to mention, I mean, obviously we're talking about Cooper products today, but, but have you take, have you really taken that whole strategy approach or do you say, look, this is my go-to one day lens. That's a sphere, Toric multifocal. This is my go-to um, monthly lens and they are different brands or do you kind of, if you can, if clinically equivalent, you can choose one brand. Have you been doing that?
1: Uh, yeah, I guess I don't want to overgeneralize too much, but, uh, yeah, we're always looking for dryness and does this patient need to be in a, uh, an ultra premium lens, if you will. Um, so yeah, I have no problem switching to other platforms, other providers when it comes to the contact lens manufacturers.
0: Yeah, Um, no, it's great.
1: But it's just been a good fit for the practice. Ethan, have you,
0: have you had a kind of, um, an overarching contact lens strategy uh, when it comes to, from a practice standpoint. So obviously, again, just like Jeff said, you know, we're taking care of the patient first, but as long as we're taking care of the patient, providing a good fit, good comfort, is there a strategy involved that allows you to deliver that, that care to patients that's also cost effective to them?
4: Yeah, there definitely is. And, And like both of you said, it starts with patient success, because if you don't have that, it doesn't really matter. Uh, anything else, but we was, I think about four or five years ago when, you know, we're, we're all part of Vision Source. you know, none of us are charities. We're all in business. We're all working to be successful. And four or five years ago when Cooper Vision had their program for the one day accelerator, we made the decision to really move towards silicone hydrogel one day contact lenses and away from the hydrogel lenses. So we made a concerted effort for any patients that were in a hydrogel lens, most of which were not Cooper lenses, to move them into a silicone hydrogel modality, whether that's Fresh Day or at the time, My Day. And when we did that, the number one thing was we saw a huge increase in patient satisfaction, even the patients who felt like they weren't complaining. They felt like they were fine. But when they came for their follow-ups, they noticed they were doing much better on the back end as a business owner because of relationship between vision source and Cooper vision, we saw an enormous impact, um, on the practice. Number one on the net profitability in contact lenses. And then number two in the rebate program that Cooper vision has for us. So it really did change, uh, our entire contact lens program to make it very profitable. For the practice, and still maintain, actually increase patient satisfaction with contact. So it's worked out really, really well for us. And now, four or five years later, we're still using that basic model now with the Reveal family of lenses, and continue to so have a lot I want of to success. So,
0: be respectful with it. of everybody's time. But I'll tell you that nobody summarizes a conversation like Dr. Andrews does. And so, Dr. Andrews, I want to get your perspective. Um, about how all of this fits into, um, you know, so so we've got these partnerships that allow the individual doctors to deliver the best care that they believe is, uh, is right for a patient. And then how, how kind of a, a contact lens company's approach to saying, look, we need to be able to fit most patients in these lenses that whether they're a multifocal lens or a toric lens, and we need to increase the parameters, we need to have it to be a cost-effective option. Can you kind of give me some perspective, kind of a peek behind the curtain on what you all are thinking about when you design a new lens and when that lens uh, is released to, to us?
2: Sure, so, you know, it, it, we've heard it already today in that patient comes first. And each of these clinicians on the phone and doctors has said this, I'm looking at getting the best outcome for my patient first and foremost. And so when we design the lens, that is what we're designing for primarily comfort, which we see in the Reveal brand, and also design. With our toric design, that lens, as we've already heard, it settles, it centers, and it enables the doctor to keep moving on with their day and the patient to keep moving on with their day. Same thing with the MyDay Multifocal, very quick success. And so we start with the most important thing, which is comfort of the lens and the the, uh, design. Then we look at parameters, because now we're looking at serving as many patients as we can, but also serving the doctors. We've heard today that we want the lens on hand, and if we're loyal to a brand, we want that parameter available. And so we try to make our parameter ranges as wide as they can possibly be, and we see that with spheratoric and uh, multifocal with the reveal. You can rely on that brand to have a parameter for the patients that you need, Um, and then we look at taking care of the practice so customer brands a reveal customer brand to ideally increase loyalty and retention to the practice simply satisfied guarantees rebate programs things that enable the doctor to be successful and then of course the bigger picture net plastic neutrality looking to be responsible to our patients to practices but really to the planet as a whole and giving patients the opportunity and all of you the opportunity to buy a product that is responsibly manufactured, but also from an organization that removes the same amount of plastic from the community. So we look at it holistically, patient first, uh, practitioner, and then and then the whole package. Awesome.
0: Dr. Andrews, you never fail to impress me the way you can summarize the conversation. Thanks so much for being on. Everybody, uh, Dr. G, Dr. Heisman, Dr. Clements, Dr. Andrews, thanks so much for being on. I appreciate it. And uh, catch you guys in the next one.